This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Scott Schilber is the author of three best-selling security books, Senior Cyber, Hacked Again, and Cybersecurity is Everybody's Business. He has dedicated himself to educating as many people as possible by telling his own stories of being hacked with the hope that others can learn from his mistakes. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be on, Mark. Thanks for having me. Boy, I tell you, May 2021, we have really got to be on the ball when it comes to protecting ourselves online. So I am really thrilled you're here because I think people have this false sense of security. You know, we have these smartphones, we have all these apps on these smartphones, we have these computers, we're connecting to Wi-Fi, and we're just going, it's never going to happen to me. I'm never going to get hacked. So that's why I want to have you on the show. Let's get really diving deep into uh, cybersecurity. But more than that, I want to make sure our listener gets practical information that they can start implementing today. You up for that? I'm up for it. That's great. So let's start off. Well, what is your general opinion of the world of the internet and smartphones and all technology today? Well, first of all, I always preface it by saying I'm a technologist. I love technology. I love Apple, the ecosystem, smart devices, IoT devices. So I'm obsessed with all of it. So I'm constantly surrounding myself with evolving technology. The same time, I realize the vulnerabilities there are when we plug in, when we connect into the Internet with Internet of Things devices, IoT with our smartphones, with our computers, laptops, everything else. So I'm always trying to strike that balance in my personal life, in my business, and with what I share to people and help them realize there are certain risks involved when we do plug into the internet, into this ecosystem in the world that hackers and cyber criminals are looking to exploit. So we got to use caution. Now, I'll be 56 on June 21st next month. So I grew up in 1965, the 1970s, and you really didn't have to worry about being hacked because if you wanted to use a computer, you had to go to this big monolith building and use punch cards. Now everyone has that power in their pocket on an iPhone or a Galaxy or whatever the case may be. And I remember when smartphones first came out, they actually weren't smartphones. They were just flip phones and you could actually take the battery out. Well, now with all the latest smartphones out there, you can't remove the battery. And I heard, because I'm kind of a geek on this stuff as well, that even if you turn your phone off, you don't know if it's actually off. Is that correct? You're absolutely right. And, and I think that that point is is very important. People do not realize the, the power, to, to your point, there's more power in your smartphone than a supercomputer back in the 70s. It's unbelievable. And then add to that, what else is in there? Not just cellular connectivity over the standard wireless area network, the cell towers, but we also have Bluetooth, Bluetooth low energy, Wi-Fi, near field communication for mobile payment, ultra wideband. So the list goes on and on. Those are all conduits for cyber criminals to get into our smartphone and cause problems and hack it. And, and to your point, hackers can disable the light. They could turn your camera on, turn on the microphone to listen into you. They can do things behind the scenes when your phone is supposedly off, but it's really not. So those are all things that we need to be concerned with, especially when we download apps 
that we're not familiar with that could have malware in them. And then unbeknown to us, in the background, these type of attacks can actually happen. Now, one of my rules of uh, my life, and I encourage the listener to do this as well, download from, if you're on an iPhone, download from the Apple App Store. If you're on a Google phone, download from Google Play. Don't jailbreak your phone because when you do that, you're really opening yourself up to a possibility of being hacked, correct? Absolutely. And that's a really good point. When, when, when it goes through the store, the Apple Store or Google, they vet it. They do spend a lot of time and energy to make sure there's no malware in there. That, that the software is as bug-free as possible. Nothing's 100%. However, they do a really good job. When you use a third-party store, when you jailbreak your phone, you open up Pandora's box to download who knows what. And that's really concerning, and it can be very dangerous. I have a rule of thumb. If there's an app on my phone and I have not used it in three months, I delete it. And you may say, why? That's stupid. What's the big deal? Well, if you're not using it, when you sign the terms and conditions, and we all do this when we download an app, <laughs> we give away everything. And, and what do we do? We're giving away our privacy. We're allowing them to look at our contacts. In many cases with certain apps, you're allowing them to see what you typed into your browser and what your browsing habits are, your geolocation, access to your pictures, the list goes on and on. Uh, There's actually a statistic. Someone did a study that got paid a lot of money to do this. The average smartphone user in the United States has well over 50 apps downloaded on their phone. And if they read all the terms and conditions that they had to opt in and agree to, it would take them more than three months. Now, Mark, ask yourself, did you actually read All those terms and conditions? No. Did I? No. None of us do. It's written in legalese. We don't even understand it. So again, we're opting in and giving away our privacy in trade for what? In trade for that free app that we want to download and play. (laughs) So just use caution there and common sense. If you're not using it, get it off your phone. Yeah, I finally got around to watching The Social Dilemma, uh, the Netflix uh, documentary. And there's a line in that that documentary that still haunts me to this day. If you're not paying for the product, you are the product. So Facebook is free. Not so much. Instagram is free. Not so much. So I just want people to understand that. But a question I have for you is privacy still possible in May of 2021. It's possible, but it takes a lot of effort. And what do I mean by that? It it takes an active person to constantly be vigilant on the internet, not putting out too much personal information, not using social media for its intent, being social, not being honest about where we went on vacation and where we work and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of cautions out there. Am I a little paranoid? Yes, I was targeted and hacked as well as my company, which created a sense of paranoia in me. So what does that mean? I don't have an Amazon account. I have someone else shop for me on Amazon because I don't want to be, again, targeted. Um, I have my home and my car license plates blurred out. If you do a, a Google search and look for it and do a street view, you're not going to see it. Everything's going to be blurred out. I do some privacy measures on the Internet. Again, some things that are deceptive. So if you try to find information about me, it throws you little curveballs. Um I do a common practice of every single social media site that I log on to when I'm setting it up. I have a different birthday that I use. Ah. 
So little tricks like that can make it, um, you're kind of creating disinformation. But when a hacker tries to perform identity theft or take credit out my name, guess what? They pick the phone up, they call the bank, and they say, oh, I'm Scott Schober, and here's my address, and here's my birthday. What's the bank going to say? Uh, Mr. Schober, that's not your birthday. Conversation over. So little tricks like that we can use to our advantage. Now, the disadvantage is you get birthday wishes throughout the whole year. Congratulations, you're this age. <laughs> and I'm always looking at that going, what is going on? I'm like, oh, that's right. That's I got that crazy birthday on LinkedIn. Oh, different one on Twitter. So it, it can be a little bit confusing. But just using caution, not putting out too much personal information about yourself thinking before we post is important. Now, that kind of goes against the whole point of social media. And again, if you're trying to promote a business, a product, a service, you're trying to put out as much information as you can. So be as selective as you can. That's what I encourage. I love that. And I just want to dive real in real quickly into smartphone security. So I have an iPhone and so I have uh, face ID enabled, but I don't use the pin pad. A lot of people either don't know about it or are too lazy to go into their, their privacy settings and change this. But on the iPhone, I can't speak for my Android friends. You can go in there and change it from a six digit pin to an alphanumeric. Now, I recommend you do this. It is a pain when you have to unlock your phone to face IDs and work or every once in a while, Apple will force you to enter your code. It does take longer, but my phone is a lot less. It's not the low hanging fruit is not hanging as low because you don't know. Am I using uppercase or lowercase number uh, letters? Am I using numbers? Am I using special characters? And if you're going to be watching me at an airport or something like that, you're going to be looking at my screen for a very long time, which I'm going to like, what are you doing right now? But when you have a pin code, it's really easy because the numbers are so big. You go one, two, three, four, five, six, and you hit enter unlocks your phone. What are your, what are your thoughts about that? Mark, you make a brilliant point, and it, it is so true. Any of those six-digit codes, regardless if it's a random number or one, two, three, four, five, six, they are easy to brute force hack by a hacker. Obviously, easy to just look over your shoulder and quickly catch it and jot down in our memory. Whereas, if it's a combination, if it's alphanumeric and it's long and strong, probably on a phone to unlock it, eight to ten characters it's going to take you thousands of years. In other words, it's not going to happen. And it's very secure, very strong. Beautiful point. You got Facebook? Well, I am on Facebook. I have a Facebook page and I have a Facebook group, both under the name of Mr. Productivity. So if you are into Facebook, if you love Facebook, go look me up on Facebook. Just look for Mr. Productivity. And if you have an iPhone, you just go into your settings. I'm looking at mine right now and tap where it says face ID, or if you have a touch ID, touch ID and passcode, you enter your passcode in there and then you can actually change it so it's stronger. And that's really important to think about. Now, another thing I want to talk to you about, because you mentioned about using different birthdays. One of the things I have started doing is when you have to enter these security questions for the longest time, who's your favorite teacher? I'm like, who's my favorite teacher? Who is it? What's the first book you ever read? And now I'm like, now I answer stupid things like what's the favorite, what's your favorite band? I may say, you know, the green grass or something like that. And I'll write these down in a very secure file. Dropbox has got a, a secure, well, they're encrypted anyways, but they've got a vault. You can put your information in. So I would encourage you when you're using security questions, answer the security questions, not the right way. So if they say, what's your favorite base baseball team say, I love banjo playing because no one's going to ever guess that. Would you agree with that? 
Agree 100%. It's exactly what I recommend. I always tell people, this is one opportunity in life you have permission to lie. <laughs> Do not be honest. Even if you put in there, if we said, Mark, what high school did you attend? And you put password 123. Guess what? Password 123 in that particular case would actually be 100 times stronger than your actual high school because anybody could Google and find out your high school in 30 seconds. Yes. So use it as an opportunity for a secure password in a sense, something, again, only you know. And, and again, the important thing talking about security and privacy, if you always choose security over convenience, you will be 100 times more secure. Multi-factor authentication, two-factor authentication. It's a pain in the butt. It's an extra step. It takes an extra 30 seconds or a minute to get that one-time code. But it's 100 times more secure than doing nothing. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Choose security over convenience every time. Now, I want to talk to you about browsers because... I learned something. My my cousin Danny was on the show a couple weeks ago, and I did not know this. So everyone, the, the number one browser in the world right now is Chrome. But I did not know that Chrome is built on the Chromium operating system. And when my cousin Danny told me this, he says, you can also get Brave, which is the same browser Chrome uses. The only thing Google puts all the tracking stuff on there where Brave takes it all off. So if you have to use Chrome for work, you can actually use Brave. It does everything that Chrome does without the tracking. Or you can use Safari. What are your thoughts on browser safety? Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, you, you brought up a great point before. What's the reason they let you do things for free? It's in trade so they can track you, so they could sell information. I, I was told, I read an interesting statistic not too long ago. This is a, across the board for the average browser that we use. When you type in something into the browser, that information is sold to 23 different companies. And again, it's fractions of pennies. It doesn't matter. It's a tiny bit and you kind of say, ah, who cares? But but the point is what? They're selling our information. How often throughout the day do you type something into your browser? I do it hundreds of times at least. That's a lot of information. And the same thing is true for search. I mean, I love Google search. One of the best search engines. I also use Bing. But there is also an opportunity you can consider DuckDuckGo for more privacy where they're not tracking everything that you type into the search. They're not selling the information. It's not as good of a search engine, in my opinion, but it's pretty good. So depending upon what you're searching for, uh, for, for some of the stuff that I do in the research in our business, we, we're making wireless threat detection tools. So some of my searches might be things about, you know, how do I detect a bomb or a secondary trigger device for igniting a bomb and things like that? Those are phrases that sometimes law enforcement doesn't like to see, and I may get a knock on my door. So I'll tend to use DuckDuckGo if I'm going to be doing research for something that might misinterpret and make them think that I'm a terrorist or doing some research for, for something that's wrong. So just using balance again there. I'm not encouraging people to do things that are wrong, but I'm encouraging people to do smart uh, use of search engines there and think about the browsers from a security perspective to stay as secure and private as you can. And another search engine that my cousin Danny told me about was startpage.com. And apparently what startpage does similar to what DuckDuckGo does, it goes and looks at Google, but anonymously. So it's going there, looking at information. I find that startpage is actually more accurate than DuckDuckGo. Although I will take less quality hits in exchange for not having Google track my stuff. 
That's my opinion. The listener and you have to make your own decisions on that. Yeah. And I I think that's a great point too. It's good to do a little research, read a few articles, study. So you're comfortable with whatever is good for you, what you decide. I hate to tell people you got to use this. It's the most secure because sometimes people like certain features or certain people also may be comfortable. Maybe you're a Google person and you have Gmail and, and you're using Google Wallet, you're comfortable with their ecosystem, then you're probably going to be more gravitated toward that. Just pick the, the most secure products within that ecosystem and, and use third-party stuff that works with it if it's even more secure. So do the research. It's really important, I think, so you understand and, and understand the implications of using some of the free tools and things that are out there. Now, as an Apple guy, I love Apple Pay, and Apple Pay is the most secure way to pay. So if you're not familiar with how Apple Pay works, is first of all, take your debit or credit card number and change the number. That's number one. Number two, when you go to purchase something, whether online or in person, it sends a one-time token to the vendor. So if a hacker is sitting right next to you, they would have to actually get your number, get the token and buy something within like a microsecond where most other pay services, Google pay, Samsung pay, all these other pay services, they actually scan a QR code and they, the security researchers, I I don't know if you have any information on this for us, but the way Apple pay is set up is the most secure way to pay. Do you have any insight on that? You know, you're absolutely right. And, and, and part of the reason, too, is to, to your point, not to dive into the technical side, but what, what, when you're using Apple Pay with near-field communication, you're sending that one-time token, and that is encrypted as well, end-to-end encryption. That's really important. On the Apple, it's not just software encryption. There's also a component inside that Apple has a proprietary component, the secure enclave, which is hardware encryption as well. So you've got software, hardware, end-to-end encryption in that ecosystem. So in other words, all the Apple devices that you're using that are that have that encryption there and that security. And that's what's really important. Whereas if you work over to the world of Samsung and Google, yeah, you have software encryption. Yes, very strong, very good. It's very hard to hack into a Google wallet. Has it been done? Yes. Has Apple been hacked into? Yes. Nothing is 100%. That's what's important to realize. But you usually want to pick what's the most secure and balance that security versus convenience. I personally use Apple Pay over any credit card or debit card. Why? Because especially in the United States, we still have that stupid mag stripe on the bottom of our card. So when you stick that into a gas pump, you stick that into an ATM machine, guess what? A skimmer is going to read that. So if a cyber criminal puts in a skimmer, second read head, it's going to read our CVV data. We're done. It doesn't matter if you have a chip and pin on there. It's the mag stripe on the bottom that's got... The crown jewels, it's given away to your account information. I am so thankful. One of the main things I'm thankful for COVID is a lot of people are doing contactless payments and there more and more people are adding Apple Pay. I wish more gas stations would do. I don't know of a single gas station that takes Apple Pay. And I'm like, that is the place I would, if I owned like a Shell or Chevron or Exxon or Mobile or any of the other ones out there, I would say, look at this is a very critical point. And for our customers, we are going to enable Apple Pay on the pumps because then it wouldn't matter to the skimmer there because they wouldn't be able to read the information or by the time they got it, if they were able to read it, it's it's out of date anyways. 
Yeah. And, and, and to your point, what is happening as of last year, October 2020, there is actually a federal mandate where they have to begin the process of updating the point of sale, the credit card readers oh, wow. at gas pumps. Therefore, with, with that legislation passed through over the next few years, you're going to start to see them spend the money. Otherwise, the liability will fall back on that actual ah. gas station. So it's happening. It's the same thing that if we look back in um, 2013 after the Target breach, a couple of years later, there was a federal mandate. Hey, guys, everybody's got to cross the board upgrade to chip and pin security. It took years for that to happen. I get it. You want productivity tips, but your email inbox is, well, out of control. When you follow Mr. Productivity on Telegram Messenger, you'll receive daily bite-sized productivity tips delivered to your phone or desktop for free. Let me help you become more productive, step-by-step, day-by-day. Follow Mr. Productivity on Telegram today. Same thing now, that same push is going to happen in the basically in the petroleum industry, which is at a terrible time with high gas prices, yes. people starting to convert over to electric vehicles. So it's going to be a, a lot of changes in the industry. From my perspective, it's all good because they're forcing security. It should have happened a long time ago, honestly, but now it's starting to happen. Just at gas pumps alone in the United States, there are several billion dollars of money that is taken from gas pumps through the use of skimmers. In fact, the average gas pump with a skimmer gets $116,000 stolen before they find the skimmer in it. That to me is ridiculous. And if you think about it, the petroleum industry and the gas pumps keep pumping gas. They're still making their money. Our credit cards are being stolen. Then they go out the cyber criminals and they'll go buy gift cards So they steal our credit cards, they burn fresh credit cards, they buy gift cards, they take the gift card and they'll give it to their girlfriend for whatever, say, give me $50, here's a $100 gift card, go shopping. They put money in their pocket, someone else goes shopping. It's almost like money laundering, but using technology to their advantage. It's really sad. And now the federal authorities are doing their best because when a gas pump skimmer is found, it becomes a federal investigation. So you got local law enforcement, you got federal agencies coming in. The, the pump gets shut down, potentially the station. So nobody wants to report these things and nobody wants to prosecute because it's so expensive. And the, if you pull a skimmer out today, guess what? Tomorrow, there's another skimmer in there. And I always wondered, how in the world do they get these skimmers in there? Guess what? There are six generic keys for the millions of gas pumps throughout the United States. I can go on eBay, $15, buy these six keys and open up 90% of the gas wow. pumps place a skimmer in 30 seconds and I'm, I'm in business and the newer ones are Bluetooth. So you don't even have to go in the, you go in, put the skimmer in once, pull up within 75 foot proximity. And now through Bluetooth in my laptop, I can be a criminal in a car and pull a couple hundred stolen credit cards each and every day. Wow. It, it, it's definitely a big mess out there. And national weights and measures is working really hard with law enforcement and station owners to rid and pull these skimmers out of the gas pumps. But right now it's a little bit of a losing battle because a lot of this is cyber criminal gangs that are highly organized with dozens of people. They have maps and they're just placing them throughout the night in all these different gas pumps. Wow. That, that is, that is chilling what you just share with us. I, I appreciate you sharing that with us because I don't think people think about it. They pull up to the pump, they take their debit or credit card out, they put it in the machine, they pump their gas, they get the receipt, and they go about the way. They don't stop and think uh, 
what did it look tampered with? And so when I go get gas, I always park as close to the the door or if it's like an outside gas station where the, the attendant sits. I always try to park as close to there as possible because I read research and tell me if this is is if I'm on based on this, but they're gonna go the the scammers are gonna go to the ones furthest from the attendants. That's still true. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's still true. Uh, in the end, what I usually recommend, what I personally do, because there are no guarantees, cash is king. In this case, it's not as convenient again, but it's more secure. Pay by cash until there's an update with near-field communication, cashless payments, Apple Pay, Google Pay. It, it's all coming. But until then, I'm just going to use cash at the pump. And, and of course, if you go to your local station and you frequent it often, it's less likely there's going to be a skimmer in there than going on a long trip and you get off on the highway at one of the, the, you know, 20, 30 gas pumps. That's where a lot of the skimmers are because people will put their card in, they it's stolen, and it's really hard to trace it back to the cyber criminals. That's what they want. They want some distance between the consumer where they're stealing the card. And again, oftentimes they're also selling it on the dark web. So they're putting it together in lists with thousands or 10,000 other cards and they're selling it now pennies on the dollar just to sell a stolen credit card. It's a really big mess. I'll, I'll share one other brief um, scheme that's been going on since we're talking about skimmers and gas pumps. I found this one fascinating. This was at a National Weights and Measures um, event that I was speaking at, and they shared the story, law enforcement. And they said one big problem that's going on is the cyber criminals will put uh, skimmers and gas pumps. And what's happening is they'll steal all the cards. They'll go home, burn fresh cards. Now they have a fresh credit card with basically your information or my information on it, they go back to the gas pump with a burned card with our stolen information on it and they'll buy gas. But this time they have a giant pickup truck with a cab on the back. And inside that they have a 600 gallon tank or bladder that they will pump gas or diesel into. So they're stealing 600 gallons that nobody can see. Then what they do is they go around the corner and they meet the tanker that's going to deliver to that station. They take a hose out and they pump it into the tanker and sell that stolen gas to the tanker. That tanker goes back to the station and now sells it to the station. So you see this circular cyber crime pattern, buying and selling gas. And it's very hard to trace with those large amounts of, of dollars being stolen and shifted. And it's all on our nickel, on our credit card. And, and that's in part, why do we pay such high premiums and in interest rates on credit card? Average credit card, about 3% of the fees, that just is used to cover the cost of cybercrime. And that's going up and up. It's sad. You know, I would never want to be in the financial industry in terms of a credit union or a bank because they have, to, in this day and age, 2021, they've got to keep on top of their toes. My wife and I had our debit cards compromised some way. We live in Houston and in three rapid successions, because I'm not a zero notifications guy, you need to have your credit and debit card apps notifications enabled. So we're sitting watching TV one day. All of a sudden I got a charge, like I think four hours north of us. And then it was declined. And then they tried my business card and they tried my wife's debit card and they were all declined because my bank was like, wait a minute, they, they live in Houston. What's going on? And what was inconvenient for me, it really irritated me. They had to cancel the cards. We had to go down to their credit union, get all new cards because I don't know how the guy, they got the cards because they got all three of them all at once and they charged it sequentially. And so when, 
and I'm sure no cyber criminals are going to listen to this podcast, but what they're doing is they're making our lives very annoying. It's, it's costing more money for the financial institutions. It's causing grief. If your stuff does get stolen, you have to hire someone to, to get your stuff back. It's a real pain. And I just have a name for these people. They're losers because they don't want to get a job where they can actually earn us not earn a, earn an honest living. They want to go out and they want to just, I don't know, make people's life miserable. And so I have no respect for these people because there are jobs out there, but they don't want those jobs. They just want to steal your money and my money. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really disheartening when you see how much they get away with. I I experienced a number of years ago when I was targeted myself and my company, again, just like your story, credit card, debit card, both for the company and myself, all at the same time got compromised, had to reissue them again and again and again. They started attacking our website, repeated DDoS attacks. Our online store didn't work. And finally, one morning I came in, $65,000 taken out of our checking account, became a federal investigation. When I tell you, Mark, how much phone calls and paperwork and aggravation, it made me who I am today as a paranoid person, but it makes me want to speak out against cyber criminals and say, enough is enough. We're not putting up with it. The more I educate and the more I encourage people to take steps to fight back, I hope I could make a little bit of a dent in their cyber criminal empire and let them know we are not putting up with this anymore. And you've given us a lot to think about. I really want to thank you for being on the show today. A couple of things I want people to realize. Uh, we didn't touch about it, but go look up a Faraday cage. A Faraday cage mm-hmm. is someplace where you can put your phone in and it blocks all the signals. So if you really want to be off the grid, but you don't want to get rid of your smartphone, just go get a Faraday cage. You don't have to buy a big one. You can They have pouches now that you can actually walk around with them and it prevents the signal from getting in your phone. And the other thing is, you, I want to revisit this because you said this earlier, think before you post. Now, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn because I'm trying to grow my business and brand and help people. But I never say, oh, I'm here at this restaurant on at this location. And, you know, I don't, I never give specific information. My wife does. I'm like, can you stop checking in? I don't want people to know where we are because they're like, hey, if you're at the restaurant, you're not at home. So I don't ever divulge that information, but people don't stop and think about it because they go out to dinner and they just get on Facebook and they go, hey, we're not home right now. We're at this restaurant. And like, and so if anybody happens to be following your stuff, and even if it's private, they can still get your information. Don't think that that that's your information is not uh, attainable. But now people go, oh, they're not home. So I want people to really think, because you said this earlier, and I want to make sure before we end the show that people get this. Be very careful what you're posting online. When I'm posting, I'm posting about my podcast episodes and tips on being more productive. I'm not saying I'm at this place at this moment in time. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a brilliant point, I think. And what I do is even an additional step is I mix it up. In other words, if I'm traveling, I go somewhere and I'm taking pictures and I want to post it for my friends, family to see, I wait a period of time. Two days later, I post it. I've had people even say, oh, Hope you're enjoying your trip and so-and-so. And in reality, I'm already back. They don't realize that. But but, but in other words, mix it up a little bit. And also using other products. Like I love Wise products. Great stuff. Outlets, turning lights on and off, remote cameras. Mix things up if it's, if it's when you're away and not at your house. And wirelessly, you could just jump on, make sure your house is secure. Nobody's messing around with things doesn't cost that much. It's simple. But again, it adds layers of security and throws curveballs to physical thieves 
as well as cyber thieves. Yeah. And I used to do that. I used to go running because I run every day and I would take a picture when I'm running because I would run for a mile, then I'd walk for a tenth of a mile. I take a picture and put it in social media. And I said to myself, I said, first of all, no one cares if I'm running at this very moment in time anyways. They don't care. So I'm like, I would wait till I get home and I wait till a couple hours later because I don't want them to know I'm at this park running when there's no one at home. And it's a very simple thing that anybody can do. So you don't take those gorgeous restaurant pictures, vacation pictures, but then post them later. No one's going to care. No one's going to hop in the car and drive to the restaurant to see you anyways. Because if that was the case, you would invite them. So just... Let's, this boils down to two words, common sense. If you want to protect yourself, just use common sense. Yeah, yeah. And you can also turn off uh, geolocation so it doesn't associate latitude, longitude, and time and place to your actual picture if somebody does analysis to it. I, I, I encourage people to consider that as well. Well, I kind of like that feature because on the iPhone, you can say, oh, I went to visit this place. That's good for you, for your own reason. Mm -hmm. But then again, you do open yourself up for that. So, Scott, great time talking to you today. Where can we go to find out more about you and what you're doing in the world? Well, certainly you go to my website. It's simply my my name, scottshober.com. My company is bvsystems.com, Berkeley Veritronic Systems. And there's tons of articles, tips, blogs, videos, lots of information how to keep safe in this uh, scary cyber world we live in. All right. Well, Scott, you've really uh, woken us up, and I really appreciate you sharing all the insights you did in the show today. Great. Hey, thanks again for having me on there, Mark, and stay safe. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. I really hope it served you well today. Now head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com. Sign up to be a free Mark Stuchowski Insider. Get my top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs. Absolutely free. It's my gift to you. And until tomorrow, my friend, go be productive.